All right, everybody. Well, hey, listen, if you can find your seats, that would be great. My name is uh, Jeff Baker, and I uh, serve as the lead pastor here at New Life Assembly. So I'm glad you guys could come out today. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a great day. We are in the second week of our current teaching series called Journey to the Center of God. So uh, with that in mind, I just kind of wanted to jump back a little bit. If this is your first week with us, then I apologize for these next few moments. Um, I don't want to make you feel like you're left out, but I'm also going to help catch you up um, in just a minute. But last week, we started out by drawing for you the, really the journey to the center of God in the form of a circle, the circle to true life. And we kind of we drew that thing out, and I encouraged you to take that and go and share it with a friend. Were you able to take the, uh, the circle to true life and share it with a friend? Um, I, I, really, I really hope that you did. If you didn't, you missed out on an incredible moment just to share your faith with others. If you did, you probably have got a sense of like, wow, man, that felt really good to be able to share my faith with those people that I care about most. And so I just want to encourage you, keep looking for moments to share your faith. Keep looking for opportunities where you can share the hope that you have in Christ, which is in you, to share it with others. So anyways, um, just wanted to kind of encourage you, make sure you're looking for those kinds of moments, all right? Now, if you weren't here last week, I want to catch you up to speed in your notes that are provided for you in the bulletin or in, um, in the U version that you get. Or by going to newlifecarney.org, you can actually click on the sermon notes and pull it up on your, iP- uh, your iPad or your tablet or your Android device or your smartphone, whatever it is. You can get those things right in your hand right now just to be able to follow along with us during this teaching series. But if you've got a pen, I want you to pull it out. I just want to help you one more time understand what this circle to true life really is and then how you use it because it's going to be important today as we journey into the next phase of people's spiritual journeys, which is learning how to walk steady in God's kingdom. So let me, uh, let me just kind of help you out here just for a moment. If you remember right, anything that starts with the title, um, Circle to True Life, better have a circle, all right? Uh, that's just the point of integrity. So we've got a circle. That looks a little bit like an amoeba on, the, amoeba on this one side. I apologize for that, okay? Apologize. Um, and then in the center here, we've got obviously the dots. Um, so we've got these basically four components that make up this circle or this journey to the center of God. The, the first one is obviously what's, what's, out, what's out here. And what's, out, what's sitting out there on the paper is really representing man's world. It's, it's a world that's driven by man's ideas, not God's ideas. It's a world that's driven by man's agenda. It's a world that's driven by man's really his rebelliousness and his independence His desire to live his life on this earth, even though he's not the one who created his own life. He's not the one who gave himself life. And he's not the one who can can sustain life. Nevertheless, he lives his life outside of the will or the desire of God. Some of you might be here today, and that's where you've chosen to live up to this point. And if that's where you are, I just want you to know, it's perfectly okay. I'm glad that you came to new life. You're in the right spot. It's just not okay to stay there. And I want to help you understand why you don't want to stay there. The, the next portion of, of this piece of paper really becomes the inside. And the inside portion of this whole thing is represented by a couple words. It's the kingdom of God. All right? 
Now, if you were here last week, you drew that. If you're here this week, you just want to write that down. You may want to just go ahead and fill in those other blanks if you were here last week. That will really show you whether you were listening or you weren't, all right? But don't cheat off the person next to you, okay? Because if they get it wrong, you'll get it wrong. Now, the, when you're in the kingdom of God, you're, you're really striving for one spot in the kingdom. It's not just get in and go, whoo, all right, I'm in. Kick back my feet, get a cup of spiritual lemonade, and just drink it and be fat and happy. No, what you're intending to do is get to the, the center. And this dot represents the center. Well, it's the center of God's will. Okay? The center of God's will. So how do you get from man's world into God's world? Or from man's kingdom into God's kingdom? How do you do that? Well, every one of us has to address this line here. This line is faith in Jesus. All right, are you with me so far? So we have man's world, we have God's kingdom. We have the center of God's will, and we have faith in Jesus. Jesus is the one who said to all of humanity, he said it the day he walked on the earth, and it's still true today in 2013. It'll be true in 2020. It'll be true in 2100. If Jesus doesn't come back for his church, his words will still be true then, no matter how the culture changes, no matter what technology brings about. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. That was not a threat. It wasn't a negative statement. It wasn't a put down. It was a fact. It was just truth. Said out of a heart of joy from Christ, saying to humanity, do you want relationship with God? If you do, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Whoever puts their faith in God through Christ enters into the kingdom. So last week we talked a moment about stepping over this line of faith. Jumping from this world into God's world. So you have to go back and listen to that message if you want to know more about it. But what happens now that you've stepped over the line of faith? What happens now? Once you step over the line of faith and you put your hope in God through Christ, now what you start is phase two. Phase two is learning how to basically walk steady in God's kingdom. Now, I simply just draw that with a, you know, this kind of a squiggly line. Because I know that as you walk in God's kingdom, you're not perfect and you don't have it all figured out. But I'm just trying to teach you how to walk steady. Sometimes it's not always straight. Sometimes it weaves back and forth a little bit, but I just want to help you get your feet underneath you. Now, when you're walking in God's kingdom, I found typically that there's four different types of people that walk in God's kingdom. There's four different basic walk journeys, if, if you can put it that way, all right? Um, so let me, let me grab another, another color here. Um, we're going we're gonna to illustrate this next one with red. I think that's going to be most appropriate when it comes to what I'm getting ready to tell you. The, the first person that I want to describe for you that's a walker in God's kingdom is called what I would refer to as a speed walker. You guys ever seen those speed walkers? You know, those people that they just got, you know, they, I mean, they I don't know what it is, but they look like a robot and their, their legs are all straight and you see them in the mall and they are just, boom, they're just busting it, right? Um, and no, it's not just so they can get the sales quicker. That's actually for exercise. So as goofy as it might look, I think that it's actually been proven it's fairly healthy. But speed walkers in God's kingdom are not necessarily healthy. Have you, ever, have you ever watched someone, or maybe this happened to you, that when 
you gave your life to Christ, that you were one of those people that, man, you just went over the top. And you were the kind of person that said, man, I'll tell you what, I'm so excited about this newfound relationship with Jesus. I'm in three different life groups. I meet with four different accountability partners. I read my Bible three hours every day, and I pray three hours every day. I'm fasting six days a week. How long can you sustain that? You can't. A speed walker is a person that gets into the kingdom, and instead of this line that I drew here, which is a more traditional line, they do this. They're blazing right towards the center. Now, it looks good. It sounds good. And I even want to come alongside and and encourage them. You know, I don't want to come along and discourage a person. I, I just don't like the fact that many times we as Christians turn to a person like that and go, Oh, well, you'll find out sooner or later. Well, don't discourage someone's passion, but help redirect it. Here's what's going to happen. They're going to have so much of self, so much of self involved in this journey. It's self-driven. It's pleasing to the soul. This, I'm going to pray three hours a day, read my Bible three hours a day, fast six days a week, be in three life groups, meet with four accountability partners. It's a lot of self. They don't recognize that, though. And what happens is they blaze right past the place that they want to be, but they can't figure it out. They don't even realize they've gone right past it. And they literally, they they will take this circle of faith in God through Christ and literally run into it so hard, this it will expand with them and kind of snap back. Many times they just snap back and and then they end up, you know, in a more traditional type of a, a walk, one that is more stable one that has a better time to it, one that is more realistic. However, many times they'll just jet right back out because they say, I gave it my best and my best wasn't good enough. Where did I miss it? Where did I go wrong? And they don't even know what happened. Those are speed walkers in God's kingdom. They jump in with the right attitude, but then they run with the attitude of self. And if you run with the attitude of self, you're going to miss the center of God's will. You may even just find yourself walking right back away from God. Some of you have friends, neighbors, family members. That was their journey. You need to help them see. It was about self. And when you're in God's kingdom, remember, who wants to get the glory? You or God? If you're in God's kingdom, who gets the glory? God. God gets the glory. So if we're on our journey early on in faith and we're running to please self, then we are the ones getting the glory because it made us feel really good to tell everybody I'm reading my Bible that much and I'm praying that much and I'm going to that many life groups and I'm talking to this many people. It made us feel good about us. It's a dangerous place. The other, the other spot of people that I see that are walkers in God's kingdom are the people that I just refer to them as forever walkers. Some of you are out there. You, you've been in a relationship with God for quite a while, 10 years, 15 years. 20 years even. But you have just kind of found this comfortable place and you're unwilling to go beyond it. And for you, you kind of got in and you've just been walking. Two years go by. Three years go by. Four, five. You just steady as she goes, Captain. There's no... Notice what I just drew there. What's wrong with that? There's no movement towards the center. You're just along for the ride. Your Christianity feels dull. Your relationship with God feels stale. It feels like your prayers bounce off of a lead box that's around you. 
You read the Bible, but there's no joy in it. There's a lot of religion involved in this. I'm part of the right group, but I'm not really being transformed beyond I put my life in God's hands. I believe that Jesus is the Lord, and I really do want him to be my leader. But it's more about religion for me. It's more about the checklists of things that I need to do. You're going to find that you can live that way for the rest of your life, but you're not going to find a lot of joy in your relationship with Christ. And I'm telling you, if you don't find joy in your relationship with Christ, you're missing out on a lot. The next group is a scary kind of a group. They're a group that they step over the line of faith, but then what they do is they get right up here next to the edge. (laughs) And man, they just journey right here. Every once in a while they spike. Oh, but then they're back. I call those people rim huggers. (laughs) They just like to get in and hug the rim. Rim huggers. They, They want this God thing because they don't want to burn in hell. They don't really want to commit. A rim hugger. You don't stay a rim hugger very long before you find your way out. The better approach and the one that probably many of you wrote last week when I asked you to write your own personal spiritual journey on your circle is maybe that the, the orbital approach. These are people that are beginning to walk in their faith and I'm referring to them more as the orbital approach. Anything that's put into orbit around the earth and I'm going to talk about this later, is slowly but surely decaying and falling towards the center. So let's pick it up where this person left off. These people are, they kind of walk, and the longer that they walk, as the years go by, and as the days go by, they find themselves slowly but surely drifting towards the center. More of that orbital approach. And if that's you today, that you find yourself more in that spiral type of approach, all I want to encourage you to do is this. Make sure that the spiral is leaning towards the inside. Making sure that every single day that goes by, you're getting closer and closer to the center of God's will. These are the four... Wow, that really looks crazy now, doesn't it? If you're watching and you just tuned in, uh, wow, that's going to look weird. If you just woke up in the service, that's going to look weird. Um, But otherwise, if you're tracking with me, then you understand what it is we're talking about today. All of us in our childhood, in our birth process, in being raised as humans, we all had to learn to walk one day. Okay? All of you got in here, and uh, most of you, you walked into this place. You had to learn how to get your balance, right? You had to learn the fundamentals of walking. What are the basic fundamentals of walking? Just put one foot in front of the other. That's the basic fundamentals of walking. You can't just stand up and stay there. That's called standing. All right? Um, you, the walk, you've got to put one foot in front of another. We fell many times when we were learning to walk. Some of us still have damage from those falls. That's why we are who we are. We hit our head on the coffee table one too many times when the skull was still soft. But we fell. But when we fell, we got back up. And we got back up and we mastered walking right? And we learned what it meant as a little, as a little baby, we learned what it meant to walk steady. And wasn't it true that you weren't walking steady for very long before you started to run? Just look at any toddler. And before you know it, they've gone from walking to running. It's today. Today I want to help you understand. What does it really mean? How do I walk steady in my faith? 
How do I get my feet up underneath me, get my balance, and really start walking? What does that really mean anyways? So today I want to talk about two basic components. The first one that you want to do if you want to learn how to walk steady in your faith is that your identity must be discovered in Christ. Your identity must be discovered in Christ. If you want to learn what it really means to walk steady and not take one of these other approaches that we just talked about, your identity really is... It, Identity, the word itself, literally means to, to, to be known for something. What are you known for? That's your identity. What are you known for? Many of you, you're known for your profession. Are you known as a mom? You know, you are a mom. You have kids. You're a mom. You are a dad. You are a grandfather or a grandmother. You are a banker, a doctor, a businessman. You are a pastor. We're known for those things. That becomes our identity. Think back with me to high school. All right? Think back. High school. Didn't high school have a bunch of cliques, a bunch of non-formal clubs? They had a bunch of these groups of people that they all kind of gelled together because they wanted to sound the same. They wanted to dress the same. They wanted to look the same, basically. They wanted to behave the same. They wanted to be known as, I'm a part of that group. Remember the guys that we called the, the nerds, the geeks? Those computer guys? You know the guys that are really rich today? Remember those guys? They had the tape around the center of the glasses. All right? They, they, they always had high water pants that they never really went down to the, to the shoes. Um, they, their shirt kind of was tucked in on one side, but it hung out on the other. But they could care less because it was all about code, baby. It was all about code. And that code turned into dollars. And now me and you report to them. Okay. So it was that group. How about the preps? The preppy people. They're the ones that came walking in. They had all their clothes just right. They talked just right. They had their own little slang, their own little language that they did. They had their own look. They could find one another in the school campus and they could drift over and they would all be sitting at the same tables because you wouldn't find these two classes of people, you know, gelling together. Or the gothic people, the ones that showed up and they were just all in black and you were wondering why they wore makeup when there was no need to wear that kind of makeup and why their fingernails were painted black and all that kind of stuff, but they were part of the gothic group or maybe part of the jocks. Maybe that's where you found yourself. You know, you were the one who wore the football jersey to school even when it wasn't a game day. Um, you know, you, you were just found in the, in the locker room all the time. That, that's who you hung out with. You were, you know, you did everything you could to make sure you looked right, sounded right, so that you would be readily identified as you are part of that group. Why? Why would you do anything to make sure that you were readily identified to be part of that group? Why? Because you were proud of that group. That's why. You were proud of the group that you belonged to. And if your identity is going to be found in Christ, then guess what? You're going to have to be known for Jesus. You're going to have to be proud that you are in the team Jesus. You're going to have to be proud that you have found your way into the club, Jesus. This is what Paul says about making sure that you are proud that your identity is found in Christ. In Romans 1, verse 16, he says this, For I'm not ashamed of this good, for I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of it. Jesus is the good news. And I want everybody to know it. I want to be readily identified as I am a Jesus follower. Or like the book that was written, you know, a number of years ago. I am a Jesus freak, if you will. That's my life. 
I, I want people to know it. I want, I want my life to radiate it. I want how I talk for people to see it. I, I'm not ashamed of the power of God. For it's the power of God that's at work in me to bring every good and perfect thing. And God's power is greater than my inadequacies. My inadequacies are not what identify me. But it's the power of God through the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the team that I'm a part of. And I'm proud to be on that team. That's how you're going to know where your identity is. Where are you proud to be be associated with? We should be more proud to be associated with Christ than we are with anything. Jesus went on to talk about this identity when he said this in Mark chapter 8. He said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, then the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. If anyone is ashamed of me. By the way, these sinful days that Jesus was talking about, are they not the same sinful days that you and me live in? Yes. We live in sinful days. There's no way to get around it. And it seems like it's only getting worse. But even in the midst of these sinful days, Jesus is saying to you and me, don't be ashamed of me. Stand up. Be bold in the way that you live. You'll you'll be, if you do that, you'll have to be like a fish swimming upstream. There's no doubt about it. But Jesus is coming back for a church who takes a stand for what they believe. They take a stand for it. Not in an offensive way. I just think that the church has been known for all too often its offensive approach to its community. I don't think that we should be sandpaper to the community. I think that we should be the love of God to the community. Should we be bold? Yes. Should we be straight? Yes. Should we do that with love and grace and mercy? Yes. That's how we should respond. Jesus was firm and Jesus was straight. But when it came to the world, Jesus was full of mercy and grace and compassion. When it came to the religious, Jesus got harsh. Let's remember, who were we talking about? We're talking about the world around us. We should be full of mercy and grace and compassion. Because Jesus hasn't called you and me to be camouflaged Christians. He hasn't called you to be one who says, I'm a Christ follower, but you just blend into the community. You just blend away into the culture. You just blend away into man's world and man's ideas. He didn't call anybody to be a camouflage Christian. In fact, he said the evidence of your life must be enough to make you guilty of following him. The evidence of your life should be enough of it. That when people look at you, they should be able to note, wow, I know that there's something different about that person because of A, B, and C. Because of the way that they talk. Because of the way that they love their wife. Because of the way that they love their kids. Because of the way that they do their job. There's enough evidence to say, you are a Christ follower. In the Old Testament, in 1 Kings 19, you see this calling of one of God's prophets. His name was Elisha. Elijah had been given an order by God to go and to call Elisha. And look what happens. Look at when we read this passage, the evidence that points towards Elisha's commitment to being all in, or proud of the fact he's on God's team. Take a look with me in verse 19 of chapter 19. It says, Elijah went and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat. Pause. I know some of you guys are really into this whole naming your kids after Bible names. Note to self. Some of them should not be used. So Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. 
Elijah went over to him and he threw his cloak across his shoulders and then he walked away. Now, just so that you're, you're aware, throwing the cloak from one prophet to the next meant, I want you to follow me. And by the way, I would really love to see you take my spot. This was a high honor, a high calling. The cloak really can only be put on one person. So Elisha, he left the oxen standing there. He ran after Elijah and he said to him, Hey, hey, first let me go back and kiss my father and my mother goodbye and then I will go with you. And Elijah replied, Go on back, but think about what I've done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and what did he do? He slaughtered them. After slaughtering them, he used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople And they all ate. And then he went with Elijah as his assistant. What's the evidence of this man to say that he's all in? What's the evidence of this man that says, I'm proud to be one that follows my God? What's the evidence that points to him that says, there's enough to convict you of being a God follower? When he's called, what does he do? He gets rid of all the things that are his old resources. He slaughters his oxen, which are going to help him plow up the ground to make a living He takes the very plow, he chops it up, he lights it on fire, and he he basically throws the massive community barbecue. It's a big outreach. Big outreach to save the community. Just want you guys to know, I love God, I'm following God, and I'm leaving all of this behind to follow Him. So let's give thanks to God for what He's called me to. And then he leaves it all. Mom, dad, business, future. A lot of theologians believe that Elisha came from a very, very rich home. Twelve teams of oxen. Not just one, not just barely enough to get by, but a lot, with a lot of fields. And at this moment, he wasn't even in a field that was close to his home. He was out at a distant place. Comes from a very wealthy home, but gives it all up. That's the kind of evidence that God's looking for out of your life and my life. Are we all in? Are we not just in the kingdom, just walking at the pace that we want to? Or are we at a pace where we're moving towards the center of God's will? Elisha was walking with the attitude of there's no turning back. So if you're new in your journey of faith today, you're new in your pursuit of God, one of the things that you need to get inside of your spirit, if you're going to find yourself at the center of God's will, is there has to be the attitude of there's no turning back. Like a skydiver who jumps out of a plane, who gives it all, who throws away everything that's safe, everything that got him off the ground that could land again. He jumps out of the plane and he's just out there, hoping that when he pulls the cord, the parachute goes. He's all in. This attitude of no turning back, that's what God's looking for out of our lives. So in your faith, in your faith journey, ways to just drive home this attitude of there's no turning back, to really build a a file of evidence that your life really does love God and that you're all in. One of the things I want to encourage you to do is be telling others about your faith often. Tell others about Jesus on an often basis. You know, get water baptized if you've never been baptized in water. It's an outward statement to the world that you've transformed or changed on the inside. You've given your life to Jesus. Invite friends to come to church with you. Make sure that on a Sunday, that if you sit in the same seats over and over again, there's enough room that if a friend that you invited that week comes, you've got space for them. Go over and pick them up. Find a way to help your friends discover a life transformed by Jesus. I would also encourage you to do this, to draw your spiritual journey for them. 
really this attitude of no turning back, you need to kind of almost paint a target on your back for yourself. Paint a target on your back of accountability. That when you're out there, you, rep, you, you recognize that your life is representing Jesus at all times. Don't be ashamed to paint the target on your back that says, I am a Christian. I know that that's going to come. That's going to come with a level of responsibility. But that responsibility is what you need to keep you focused with this attitude of no turning back. Because you realize when you fail, you've got to get up and you've got to confess. And you've got to help people realize, I was wrong. You've got to get back up and you've got to keep running. Because you're not representing yourself. You're representing the one who sent you. And that, that one is Jesus. But if you want to walk steady in your faith, then you also have to realize that grace is required beyond the line. That's beyond the line of faith. Grace was required when you stepped over the line. You said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I recognize that my life has been lived outside of your will. I recognize that. And so there's grace, though, that's required even beyond that place. See, once you step over the line, it does not make your life perfect. Just because you have made the Lord, Jesus, Lord and leader of your life doesn't mean that your life is perfect. You're coming into God's kingdom with a lot of baggage. You need to realize that. You're coming into God's kingdom with habits, lifestyles, attitudes, beliefs. There's a lot of things in your life that don't line up with God's word. And some of those things are going to be broken immediately. You're going to realize, I just can't live life this way anymore. And those attitudes and things miraculously by the power of God's spirit are going to be broken. But then there are other things in our lives of sin, habits, and beliefs that they take time. You need to give yourself grace and you need to receive God's grace even beyond just the line of faith. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he understood this attitude of needing God's grace even beyond starting his relationship with God. Look what he had to say in Romans chapter 7. He says that I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war within my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. A slave. He said in there that sin, it wages like a war against you. It means you have an enemy who never is going to give up. No matter where you are in God's kingdom, even if you're centering around the center of God's will, he's never going to give up. He's never happy until he wins the war. Sin is like that. It's like a war against your mind. It's like a war against your heart. It's a war against your soul. Trying to get your soul to lead your spirit. Trying to get your mind, will, and emotions to get out in front and you do what you want to do. What kingdom does that sound like? God's kingdom or man's? Man's kingdom. And every time you live that way, you are drifting away from the center of God's will because that's a sinful behavior. Sin separates you from the center of God's will. But even though there's a battle that wages against you of sin, that doesn't mean that sin has to win the war. God's grace through Jesus is desiring to set you free 
piece by piece, sin by sin, behavior by behavior, attitude by attitude. And the question today is this, are you allowing God to keep, continue to pull you to the center of His will where one sin after another is being dominated? Or have you grown comfortable and you're just a forever walker? Which one are you? Where are you at? Are you just living comfortable with where you've, what you've achieved and what, what you've got and how you know God? And although you know God from a distance, you don't really need to know Him up close and personal? I'm telling you, if that's your attitude, again, you're missing out on the best of God's kingdom, which is going to bring joy in your relationship. And not put a frown on your face when you think about God in church. It should put a smile on your face. It should be what helps wake you up in the morning. That's an awesome feeling. So how do you get that? How do you maintain that? It's through confession. The confession of sin is still required beyond the line for the forgiveness and the freedoms of sin. Look what 1 John 1 has to say. It says, if we confess our sins, He, God, He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and He'll purify us of all unrighteousness. Never stop confessing. Never stop letting God know, I see my faults. I see the things that are separating you from me. I see it. And I'm not willing just to turn my eyes from it. But I'm willing to confess it and to move forward. Because see, if you don't confess your sins to God over time, guess what happens? You don't see your sin the same way that God does. You start justifying your sin. You start making excuses for your sin. Confession humbles the heart and it recognizes the fact that I'm wrong, you're right God, I need what you have. If you don't confess your sin, then guilt builds up. And what does guilt do? Guilt defeats you. Does guilt push you closer to the center of God or does it push you farther away from the center of God? Guilt pushes you farther away from the center of God. So when we don't confess, these two things begin to work inside of us. But what is confession? Confession is literally the obedience to God's gravity. See, the center of God's will is like a gravity pulling all of us towards Him. And confession is recognizing and surrendering to God's gravity and saying, I want you, God, to be in complete control of my life. Now let's look at the principle, the scientific principle of orbital decay for a second. We put satellites in space. We have the International Space Station that's up there. The space shuttle used to go up. We have the Hubble Space Telescope that's up there. We've got a lot of stuff floating around in space right now. The space station itself, because it orbits the Earth at a lower orbit, it has to often have an altitude adjustment because the atmosphere of the earth, as it begins to, as it begins to you know, be closer and closer to the earth, the atmosphere of the earth slows it down. As its momentum slows down, the, the gravity of the earth pulls it quicker. And eventually, if no altitude adjust, adjustment is given, then the International Space Station comes blazing in to our atmosphere and burns up while your eyes and my eyes watch it on Fox News and CNN. The Hubble Space Telescope is farther away from the Earth. Its, its altitude is a farther journey away than the International Space Station. So the gravity of the Earth still pulls on it, but it doesn't pull on it as hard. And so it only needs an altitude adjustment many years between one another. But to have an altitude adjustment means that man has to fire a thruster and he has to move these objects a little bit farther out again. Because over time, the decay of its orbit will eventually bring it right into the Earth's atmosphere. So, with that said, are you fighting against the gravity of God? Because if you are, you're burning a thruster 
a thruster that says, I'm not willing to confess. And I'm going to keep this little spot right here. I'm comfortable. Uh, Is your journey that forever journey? Is your journey a rim hugger journey? Or is your journey one where you're going, I'm not going to burn my thrusters. I'm going to give myself over to the gravity of God and let God just pull me in closer and closer, day by day, year by year, as I journey around the center, just allowing my orbit to decay. What does that mean? That's Paul's journey. Die to self. Die to self and allow God's gravity to pull you in, to pull you into himself. So when we confess, it's, it's us giving up and going, God, I submit myself to you. Pull me closer to the center. That's awesome. Stop fighting to keep your orbit. Stop fighting to keep your comfort zone. Stop fighting to stay right where you think you've got it all figured out. Every, every moment of that is sin. It's fighting against the very thing that God wants to do. Stop getting stuck in your, in your journey of just walking steady, just staying where you're comfortable. You're going to have to give, give that up. About three years ago, I decided I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. I'm going to do something I've never done before. So three years ago, I hop on a plane and I fly down to Phoenix and I hop in a truck with a couple of buddies and we drive up to the Grand Canyon. We go to the north, the north rim of the Grand Canyon and we're going to hike the Grand Canyon from the north rim all the way to the south rim. I believe that's somewhere between 25, 27 miles. We've given ourselves a couple of days to do that. There was a lot of preparation that went into this trip. I had to I, was walk, I bought these new boots, and I would get Kim, and we would go out on, on, in the evenings in downtown Omaha, and we'd just go on long walks to break the boots in and just to get the, get the you know, just walking a lot, and we would go up and down hills, and, you know, I was just, I was working out, and I'd put a pack on my back, and I'd put weight in it, and I would just walk with the pack on my back and weight, and I went to the stores, and I got online, and I searched it out, and I tried to find every piece of equipment that I could that I'm going to need to be as light as possible. I wanted a really light pack because I want this journey to be the easiest it can be, but I want to commit to it. And man, it was a lot of fun. We had to purchase a lot of new gear, but we made a big leap the day that we stepped off the rim and we started hiking down into the canyon. I mean, you only have to go a couple of steps and your whole identity changes. Your identity changes from the 5 million people that on average stand on the the rim of the Grand Canyon and look into it to the 0.3% of the people that actually get to hike through the Grand Canyon. Well, that year, three years ago, I was part of the 0.3% of people that get to walk down. They hike into the Grand Canyon. I only had to take a couple of steps, and the rest of my journey, I have a new title. I'm one that's hiked the Grand Canyon. I'm not just one that stood on its rim. My question to you today is, are you a rim hugger spiritually, or are you a hiker spiritually? Are you someone that has gotten into the kingdom, but you're just kind of trying to hug the rim? of it? Or are you someone that got into the kingdom and you're committed to hiking, hiking to the center of God's will? Oh, it's a journey that you'll never forget. It's a journey that you'll be proud to let others know about. It's a journey that you'll show pictures of in the future. It's a journey that you will, you'll tell others about it. It's a journey that you'll take others along, just like I took others along. It's a journey that you'll want everybody to experience. It's a journey that will take you from someone that just knows information a rim hugger, to someone that has firsthand 
acknowledge a hiker. I want you to be hikers. I want you to hike through it. I want you to be people that learn how to walk steady as you get, you get yourself to the center of God's will. Why don't you stand with me today? In a moment, I'm going to pray. A worship team's going to come up to the stage. And you're going to have the option today of whether you're going to be a rim hugger or a hiker. Whether you're just going to hang out where it's comfortable or you're going to dive into the deep things. You're going to go beyond where you're at right now. You're going to take your journey of walking steady and, and you're going to let your identity be boldly and profoundly professed that I am proud to be on God's team. But that's going to be you surrendering to God in here. That's going to be you giving your life up to God in the heart. It's beyond just the mind. It's in the heart. Letting God grab a hold of your life. Let Him transform you from a rim hugger to a hiker. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You're drawing us to Yourself every single day. That You're pulling us closer and closer to You. Lord, with every word that's spoken, Lord, with every act of surrender, every moment of prayer, every moment of worship, Lord, every waking moment, your spiritual gravity of, God, of your love is pulling us closer and closer to you because you, you care about us and you love us and you want relationship with us. You don't want us just to know about you. You want us to have firsthand experience of truly knowing you. Not just knowing a scripture, but having a scripture come alive in us. Not just knowing the right words to say. Having the right words come from deep within our heart. We get the right foundation of walking steady. Our lives can be transformed. So stir inside of the hearts of those that are here today with an attitude of, there's no turning back. There's no giving up. I took two steps into the canyon, and it's time to commit it all and learn how to walk steady right towards the center of God's will for my life. In Jesus' name. Let's worship God today.